Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The Game Pit. This is another one of our Picking Over the Bones episodes. Hi, I'm Ronan and today I'm going to be talking about Tammany Hall, China and Dominant Species. Sean, what will you be talking about? I'd like to talk about Small World, Ascension and To Court the King. You can catch all our episodes along with other video, audio and written gaming goodness at 2d6.org. about the 2009 release from Days of Wonder called Small World. It's by a gentleman called Philippe Kiat, and Philippe has done games like Evo, Olympos, Space Blast, Vinci, which we will be talking a little bit more about, and the upcoming Kickstarter, Twin Tin Bot. Small World plays two to five, with a playing time of around about 80 minutes. It's basically an area control game. What Small World is, is, is Philippe Kiat's re-implementation of his 1999 game, which is Vinci, as I said before. Uh, I haven't played Vinci, but from what I gather, it's very much the same game, but set in a more realistic surrounding. So with Small World, he's given it a fantasy-themed overhaul, with races like dwarfs, wizards, giants all coming in. The general idea of the game is that you take control one at a time of 14 different races which will be combined with one of 20 different powers and you place them on the game board to control as much of the area as possible on the map so during gameplay players will choose a race and a power now these will all be randomly drawn together and in your turn order you're going to pick up one race and power which will be combined you're going to place these tiles on the board the number of tiles that you get will be dependent on the numbers that the two co- the combination of your power and your race give you. The general rule of thumb when placing is that you need to place one more of your tiles than is on the location. This includes indigenous tribe, tribes that start off on the board making some places harder to take initially, mountains which are permanently make places harder to take, and of course other players' race tiles. Each race and power set gives special abilities as well. These help players take areas, defend them, give point bonuses, etc. Once you've deployed your race fully and taken as much area as possible, you count up your score, collect your victory point tokens, matching your score, and you keep these face down to hide your score. This is one of the big differences from Vinci, is that your score was always visible in Vinci. When you feel you have eked out as much as you can from your race or power, you can put them into decline. Now, this means that you flip the tile over, but you lose the abilities and you have to reduce them down to one token on each area, which obviously makes it harder to defend them. On the next go, players can then choose a new race and power combination and start again while still claiming any areas where the old race remain, as they must be conquered before they are removed from play. At the end of the game, everybody counts up their victory points, and the person with the most is the winner. Ronan, I know you've played this one quite a few times. Yeah, I have played it quite a few times, and uh, I enjoy it quite a lot. Um, It's a very nice-looking game. It's really colourful. The change from the Vinci kind of historical theme into the fantasy theme. I'm not someone who's a big proponent of everything has to have some fantasy theme on it, but in this case, I think it worked. I think what it did was take something that was quite dry and mathematical with the open scoring and the kind of historical accuracy and turn it into something really fun 
and that's the key to this game. I think it's important that when you play it, you're playing it for fun. You're not just playing to win. You're not playing to count everything up and work everything out mathematically. It's a real punchy game. It's very much, you have to attack each other. The person who gets away without being attacked is going to win. So the meta game becomes quite important around the table and everyone has to be willing to attack everyone else and attack the perceived leader. That's where I think the hidden scoring is so important because if you knew who the leader was, everyone would just be attacking that person. It becomes sort of a round robin and a, a cycle around the table. So I think the changes they've made have made it interesting to look at fun to play with it's allowed them to be more creative with some of those powers and races and has improved the game for me yeah i think what philippe's done is really really clever he's really really just made the same game again with a couple of tiny little mechanic twists um as i said before a lot of people felt that the having the open scoring and it kind of got to the point where you had the kingmaker move towards the end. Who do you who do you attack and who do you don't attack? So somebody gets to decide really who wins. With the face down victory points, you never really know. You have an indication, obviously, because you know when someone's doing well, but you never really know who's winning. So a lot of people feel that that's really improved the game. But as I said, he's he's done. He's been very clever with this re-implementation. He's he's really given it a fun easy to learn edge that the, that Vinci didn't appear to have and it's not just artwork you do feel that each of these races and their powers you almost get attached to them like you and but they work they work in the way they're meant to like the skeletons or the undead are hard to kill as they should be the giants do a lot of damage but there's not many of them the wizards they can affect things around them it's it's very clever Ronan it is clever, and like I say, the, the most important thing with this one is that it's it's fun. And what he's done is, I think, in this version, there's kind of three major decision points you need to make when you're playing. And that first one is, what powers and races are you going to take? And it's the different powers and races that, for me, make the game. If it was kind of standard things, or you were just the Spartans, or you were just you know the Romans or whatever, you, and that was that fixed power, and that's what they always did... I think I'd have been done with it after a few plays. It's still a good, clever system, but the variety, the replayability, the interest is in how those races and powers come out. They come out at different combinations every time. That's one of the main decision points that's been put in. I think the other two are, with the hidden scoring, you need to balance your aggression versus scoring points for yourself. If you leave someone alone who's scoring points, they're just going to carry on scoring lots of points. Someone goes into decline and they manage to keep a lot of those tokens on the board for a while, they're going to be scoring basically three points all the time. So people have to be aggressive. They have to go after each other. But if you just go after each other, you're spending your tokens all the time. You're not getting as many areas as you could do and therefore your scoring is affected. So that's another kind of interesting part of where you have to decide and then I think the most important probably decision you have to make during the game is when to go into decline. When's it most valuable to do it? And when you get that one round wrong either way, it can be really frustrating. I mean, you're talking, I think it's between eight and ten rounds, something like that, depending upon player number. So you don't get that many times to make that decision. So I like that there are decisions to be made, but it's not kind of, it'd be difficult to get AP in small world, put it that way. Absolutely. But I think what you've just explained there is basically my next point was that it is deeper than it appears it's still an easy game to learn an easy game to get into but there are decisions in it there are definite decisions and it looks very cartoony it looks very light and it looks like it's almost like a children's game but once you get into it there are a lot of decisions that really affect the game and as Ronan said quite correctly 
you've got to pick and choose your terms. You can't just wade in. And one thing that we've got to be careful of is never steal those Amazons, Ronan. Don't touch the Amazons, man. My oldest daughter will go for you. Will make it her mission. The next three times she plays you will be to kill you if you ever take the Amazons. It's like house rule. Or like you said, Sean, it, it looks like a kid's game. And actually, it's simple enough that children can play it. They're not going to play very well, probably. They're definitely going to attack their dad at every opportunity they can, the little witches. But they will enjoy it because it's not. there's not anything too complicated going on. You can understand everyone's move. Understanding the implications of every move, understanding what combinations are going to be best. Yeah, that's something they're going to have to learn and, and adults definitely have an advantage there. But children can still enjoy the game and they're scoring points every round. They're, they're achieving something every round. So they feel like they're actually doing something worthwhile. Definitely. Now, I think it's clear that we both really enjoy this game. Um, obviously, we'll, have, we'll, we'll sum up in a little while. But is there anything about the game that you don't like? Anything about maybe... The, the build quality or the artwork or anything really uh no i think the the they're all good the, the components are all lovely they're all sturdy they're all colorful enough you know with so many different components you're gonna have slightly similar colors here and there but they all make sense they all work uh the tray you get in the original version to hold the bits in the, the lots and lots of chits for each race that's annoying as hell they improved it with the expansions and they put just curved bottoms in so uh, you can reach in and actually get out some new pieces I think that's the most annoying thing about the game in terms of components they're all good in terms of the rule book that's good clarity of rules it, it all just flows very well it's a well-made solid production and you can tell it's a solid production because Days of Wonder are making reams of money out of it because they keep on bringing out all these expansions and variants and more races and more powers and people are still buying them so it's a robust system it's well made it's a good game yeah the only thing i could really find off my own back was that tray um being a fat fingered fool myself i couldn't get my big digits in there and you end up having to tip everything out but as ryan said they've already addressed that so it's not a big quibble when it comes to a game like this for me when i really do enjoy it i do struggle sometimes to find the negative so I did a little bit of research and the only real negative that people came up with more than once was that interaction isn't best, um, which confuses me. And huh? the com Yeah. <laughs> and the combat wasn't really combat, it was just laying tiles and you didn't some people didn't feel like they were actually fighting over territory. Um, but that seems quite weak to me, right? And I I'm guessing that you feel the same. The game is all about interaction. It's That's kind of one of the other issues I raise is that it's group dependent. You've got people who aren't willing to go after each other or aren't willing to you know, gang up on the leader. I've played it with couples sometimes. They don't want to attack each other and, and it makes it kind of unbalanced. Everyone has to be willing to balance each other out. The interaction is massive. I have no understanding of that. I can understand that for some people it's not meaty enough. There's no kind of... It's not a proper war game. It's just putting chits down and taking over. So... Yeah, I can see if if you want something with depth and real tactical choices in terms of battle and what have you, there's not that depth here. That's not what it's about. It is a quick, fun, punchy game. Sean, you've got Underworld. Did you want to talk about it? Yeah, Underworld is the the big standalone sort of expansion, if you will, for this game. There's a lot of smaller ones that do little things and introduce things, but you need a base set, and you've got the two base sets in the original Small World and Small World Underworld, introduces a few things, but the main things are the places and the relics, which change it up a bit. I'm not sure that we we like the combinations in Underworld as much as Small World, Ronan. 
Yeah, I think that the races and the powers aren't quite as interesting as they are in the original. They seem to be kind of real close copies, but not quite as good. They're like clones that have lost 10% of the ones that come in the original game. It's not quite there. It's it's still a very fun game. The places and the relics are interesting, but in this kind of a simple system, sometimes adding those extra things in doesn't really give you anything. You know, you're not gaining anything. Sometimes you keep it simple, elegant is best. I mean, there's other things. There's like the Necromancer's Island uh, scenario, which is an all versus one game where one person plays the Necromancer and every chit that dies, the Necromancer becomes more powerful. So you're still attacking each other because the most points wins. But if the Necromancer becomes too powerful, then they're going to win. And that's really interesting. I like that there's different ways of playing. Like I say, there's lots of different races and powers have come out. You can chuck them all in. The game's always going to be different, always going to be interesting like that. But I also like the elegance of just keep that basic system. It works so well. There's no real need to mess around with it. Yeah, I think the only time you'd really want to buy Underworld, my opinion, before you'd buy Small World, is if another if your gaming group or a friend has Small World and obviously you don't want to have the same thing. So it just mixes it up a little bit. But I think if I was to pick one of the two, it'd be Small World. Just something that we haven't played, but something I am quite excited about is probably the next along in this terms of the size of expansions, which is Small World Realms. As I said, I haven't yet got to put it on the table but i think that that's going to bring something new to it designing your own realms in your own worlds with all these different facets to them and i think that's something that might appeal to younger generation yeah it sounds to me more like really a toy than anything i'd be particularly bothered about this game is not deep enough for me to want to spend time designing my own scenarios and what have you. We just said that it's not deep for some players. It hasn't got the tactical depth. It hasn't got the tactical depth that I really care. You know, I, I'm not fussed if there's a chain of three mountains next to each other or they're spaced out or anything like that. Do you know what? I, this game for me is at its best when you can get it out, chuck it on the table, play quickly, have a laugh. No one's going to hold any grudges and it's all just good fun. I think it's a little bit back to these relics and places for me. Yeah, great. If you want to build realms, sure, I'll play it. But I'm not fast enough to want to spend the time building stuff up. Oh, I think that's the only issue we'd actually disagree on on this one. So um, final thoughts from me. This is a great game. It's a fun game. It's a very easy game to teach. Even I can do it, and I'm terrible at teaching games. It's a game that I want to play over and over again. The more, the merrier. Bring it on. Not much more I can say about it. Good game. Yeah, same here. Tons of fun. I'm almost always happy to play it. My kids like playing it. My gaming group likes playing it. There's so many people who enjoy playing the game because it's got that fun factor. As long as you play it quick, punchy, boom, 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 really a lot of fun to be had in Small Worlds. Whoa, I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien. I'm an Englishman in New York. The next game I want to talk about today is Tammany Hall. It's just been reprinted for a third time from uh, Pandasaurus Games. It was originally by Stratamax Games. The designer is Doug Eckhart. Now, Doug has not really had anything else of note out, which is surprising because Tammany Hall certainly got a growing audience. Um, the original publishers were Stratamax Games. They've had a couple of other games. Uh, Days of Steam, Let's Take a Hike, which was a, a simple card game, and Sheepdogs of Pendleton Hill they've just had out. Pandasaurus is a relatively new game company and it seems to be like they're taking games that 
either had small print runs or aren't available in certain areas and they're reprinting them. So they've done the reprint of Tammany Hall via Kickstarter, which I think was a big success. It's coming out with slightly improved components as opposed to Stratomax second edition. Uh, the first edition was absolutely awful looking. It was disgusting. It was pink and white. And I really think that delayed the impact that Tammany Hall is now having uh, six years after its original release. Um, they've also uh, done the reprint of Lost Valley, uh, The Great Fire of London, 1666, another one that had a limited reprint. And a game you may have heard us mention once or twice, the rather fantastic Yido, which they are taking to America soon. And anyone who listens to America... If you like heavy euros, go and buy a Yido. I'm honestly not getting paid by the publishers. Tammany Hall is for three to five players. I think it definitely plays best with five. And it's going to take you 90 minutes is about right. Certainly once you've played it. And the rules are real simple. So there's not a lot to get bogged down here. So Tammany Hall is kind of a generic name for the political centre of New York in the late 19th century. Now, if you've ever seen um, Gangs of New York, the Scorsese film, it's got that kind of feel to it about the politics. It wasn't the uh, <laughs> clean-cut politics of today. It was even worse than we have. It was gangs who were basically going around and press-ganging immigrants who were badly kind of administered and what have you and giving them housing and beating them up and making them vote for them. And these gangsters were basically in power, uh, most notoriously Boss Tweed, the Irish gangster mayor of New York. Now, if there's not a man to have as your hero, I don't know who is. So how do we play Tammany Hall? It's played over 16 years. And every four years, there's going to be an election. And those elections are the times when you're going to score most of your points. There's a wee bit of endgame scoring, but mostly it's, it's there during the elections. Each year, you are going to place a couple of bits of wood into one of the 17 wards of uh, lower New York. They're displayed on a map on the board. And those couple of bits of wood, you're going to do one of two things. You've got ward bosses is what they're called. They're basically your gangsters. And they, if you put them in an area, they're there to influence the voting in there. And they represent one vote in the upcoming election. Now you can put two of them down. Or you can put them in different areas. You can put them wherever you like. Or you can put one of those down. And what you can do is you can go to the castle garden, which is where the immigrants huddle together. And you can take an immigrant and put them in housing somewhere in the city. And if you do that, you're adding to the immigrant population of that nationality in the city. And also you're gaining some influence with that community because you've been nice to them, you give them housing. And that's shown by having a political chip of that particular nationality. The nationalities in the games are Irish, English, German and Italian. You're going to start off with a few Irish, English and German in the city. And apparently the Italian immigration historically was a little bit later. So they're going to gradually come into the game as players choose to house them and put them in and, and have the Italian influence grow within the city. See, each player simply does that in the first four years. There's nothing else to it. You place two bits of wood on the board. And the first three years of this game... In a five-player game, let's say, are going to be really peaceful because everyone's generally going to go into separate areas. And when you start playing this, the first three years are always the quickest. After that, players are going to have to start placing into the same areas as each other. And that's when the interesting things occur because then you're going to be up against each other in votes. And after that fourth year, we're going to have the first round of voting. What we do is we go through each of the 17 wards one at a time. Every ward boss you have there counts as one vote. Also, if there are any immigrant cubes there of which you have the same color political influence chip you may spend those chips in a blind bid in an attempt to win that ward for your candidate for mayor and whoever's involved two three four maybe five to make certain people happy people are going to put their fists in the middle they're going to declare how many chips they have beforehand and then they're going to reveal them 
You then add up the combination of bosses and chips for each ward and whoever has the most is going to win. They leave one ward boss in that area, all the other ward bosses come off. So winning the election is powerful because it's the only way you're going to have a sustained presence on the board. You go around to do that for each of the wards. Then what happens is everyone scores one point for each ward which they control. There is an area, it's Ward 14, and that's called the Tammany Hall area, and that's worth an extra point if you manage to keep hold of that one. Then whoever's won the most ward becomes mayor. If there's a tie, you do it on who's kept the most political chips. And keeping political chips is quite important throughout the game. It gives you power, it gives you influence, it's a way of threatening people, it's a way of scaring people away from the areas you're interested in. So it's very interesting with that bidding as to what you want to risk, whether it's worth putting it all in. You're going to have to win some wards to have a presence because starting from zero all the time, well, firstly, you're not going to score any points because you get one point for a ward you hold. And also, you're going to have no board position. In an area control game, that's going to be a nightmare. What happens then is, after the first election, whoever's mayor gets three extra points, which is great, but that paints a huge target on their back. And then they have to assign roles to all the other players. So in a five-player game, there's four other roles. And these roles give you different powers, be it you can lock down a ward so nothing can be changed in there. Or you can arrest one immigrant. Or you can rehouse an immigrant. And all these little changes, they don't seem like much when you first play the game. But as you get to know the game and develop and see where different things are going and see who's trying to gain political influence with different nationalities, every tiny move becomes important. And that's where the intrigue starts going. And as the game develops, it does slow down, but it slows down in an interesting way because the board is developing, more immigrants are coming out, people are getting difficult political, different political chips, and it, so on and so on. Another very important part of the game is that at the end of every election, you're going to count up who controls the areas with the most cubes of each of those nationalities in. So, for example, if I was in control of three wards and I had six Irish in there, and then everyone else didn't have as many Irish cubes in the wards they control... I would be the political leader of the Irish and I would get three bonus political chips. Really, really important that. If you can try and lock down a certain nationality, it's going to be a great way to go. There's one more thing you can do after the first election in the next three terms, and that's called slander. Everyone gets three slander chips at the beginning of the game. You can, at any point during one cycle, so every four years you can do it once, you can attempt to slander one of your opponents. You do that by spending your slander chip and spending some political chips, either one, to get rid of one of their ward bosses out of the game of an area you're in, or three, in order to get two of their ward bosses out in adjacent areas. That's all you can do. The rules are that simple. The complexity of the game all comes down to the simple interactions of political chips, where cubes are, who's going into which areas, what areas are you trying to win. That's exactly how you play Tammany Hall. You go through 16 years, four elections. At the end, there's a little bit of endgame scoring, which can be important because scores, you know, a winning score is going to be just over 20 in most games here. Whoever has the most political chips of each nationality is going to score two extra points for having those. If it's a tie, you all score two points. Also, if you haven't used your, one of your slander chips, you get one point each for each of them. So that's a maximum of three. Then you simply count up and whoever's got the most point wins. And the tie is again broken on most political chips. You can see that getting political chips is really important, but holding on to them is quite important as well. So, Sean, I know you've played Tammany Hall. What are your thoughts on it? When I was thinking about this before we did the podcast, the one word just kept up rising out of the water, slapping me in the face, which was nasty. This can be a nasty game. 
with all the with the slander and the taking over and the fighting for territory and it is this is more like a war game when you start fighting for that territory it just gets really really bitchy very quickly and i know you've been involved in a few wars in this game yourself uh, if you're not swearing at each other by the fifth round, you're not playing it right. That's for sure. It's almost a perfect political simulation. It cuts out all the complication, all the rubbish, and gets down to being nasty to each other. Yeah, this game for me, it, it's there's a lot going on in terms of not so much the rules, because as Ronan described, there's there's not much to it in terms of rules, but there's a lot of thinking going on in terms of what roles you're going to hand out. And I love that mechanic. I love that one person assigns the roles to people and that really, really can have a slant on the game. And they don't always pick the right people to give the right roles to. And in your opinion, in my opinion, and if you've got five players, you've definitely got five different opinions on how these should be handed oh, out. Absolutely. And there's a lot of banter going on when those roles are being distributed and a lot of people trying to talk people into things. Who, me? That... I'm not winning. Why would you pick on me? <laughs> exactly. That, that's part of the beauty of this game. You are a politician in this. You're a nasty, low-down politician. and You're trying to backstab your way to victory. And that's when the, the banter and the, the general abuse starts flowing. And I love that about this game. And that, as I said, that mechanic where you divvy out the roles can be so crucial, but so funny as well. Oh, it's desperate because you must be mayor at some point to win generally. Although one guy's worked out how to do it without being mayor ever. I'm, I'm not quite sure how he does it. He mind controls us. But generally you must win mayor at some point. But winning mayor, now you're the target. You, you're, everyone's gunning for you. And when we play now with experienced players, everyone's actually trying to score some points, but trying not to be mayor, which is quite funny. It's it kind of the game develops as your experience of the game develops. And, and sometimes it's all right to take that mayor in, in the second term. And sometimes it's best to take it in the third term. And oh, it's a real decision to make as to, ah, when do I take the lead? Because the minute you become mayor, you could be still six points down, but just because you're mayor, people will start picking on you. And, there is no choice in this game. You have to pick on someone. It's not like you're choosing whether to be nasty or not. You're just choosing who to be nasty to. Like I say, pure politics. And the metagame around the board is so important. And not only, you know, talking to each other and trying to influence each other. And, oh, no, it's much more important you go that way or much more important you go this way. But you have to see who you're in the fights with, who you're going to be doing this blind bidding with and who they're going to be fighting with later on and trying to read what they're doing with their pieces so which areas are more important to them. Every move is important because even if you're not directly involved in that ward, someone you're up against will be involved in that ward. So, oh, okay, so he's got lots of Italians in there and he's gone in there, so now maybe he'll save those chips for that or maybe he won't. And the whole psyching each other out in the bidding is brilliant. When you get people second, third, fourth guessing themselves, they put a bid in and go, no, no, not that. And then do it again. No, no, not that one either. It's fantastic. It creates real tension that because the last thing you want to do, Sean, was the golden rule of Tammany Hall. Don't draw on a bid because then everyone loses. <laughs> um, another thing that I want to talk about in this game is the first angle is, is that you do have to know this game almost to win. Almost, you, you almost have to know it really well to win because there is a big... Oh, no, no, no. I disagree. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I disagree. I <laughs> I said almost. Like, almost. There is a big hitter syndrome going on where the big boys take on, but that's the beauty of it. When the big boys take in on each other, the newbies 
often have a little sail to victory because there nobody's to pay any attention. That's what happened to me on my first game of this. <laughs> you guys were attacking each other. Don't worry about him. He can't possibly win. It's his first game of Tamney Hall. Ah! And I just sailed to a win because you were so bothered about each other. There I mean, was a lot of hatred around that table. Which there was, was a lot of hatred. I you. I, I felt the hate all directly towards you. Well, that happens quite a lot. I've learned to get used to that. You've become a bit of a... In, uh, sorry, a bit infamous, shall we say, down uh, in Tamley Hall circles down your games club. Oh, you're sitting on London Abroad trying to play Tamley Hall and 10 people walk past and point you and go, don't listen to him, he's an idiot and he lies. What, what have I ever done? People I've never even played Tamley Hall with. Back off, man, what's the problem? It's when the bar staff came over and started doing it, it was getting a bit serious. It's when they started throwing things at me, I got really <laughs> upset. But that's what I love about this game, is it's not all about somebody's ability to play a game or somebody's ability to chat it's all of it thrown into the mix and it's past performance as well and and that guy i've seen him do things in other games where he can be a bit sly watch him and everyone always piles onto that person there's so much going on it reminds me in certain ways of spartacus in terms of just the all-in trying to convince people to do stuff all outside the actual mechanics of the game and i love that Oh, yeah, for sure. It's one of those, I think I've mentioned it before, simple rules framework, which allows for huge interaction between the players playing. But in this one, I actually think that what you do in the game is more important than in Spartacus. I think Spartacus is just interaction, really. I mean, you can get a good gladiator, get the odd point here and there. But but in this, every move is important. It is a Euro game. Every placement of a cube will make a difference for other people in the game. Every ward boss you put down will make a difference. You might only have two bits to put down 16 times in the game. It might sound like, well, there can't be that many decisions. Every single decision counts. You can... There's one of the first four wards that get decided in every election, you get to either take a political chip off some flavour or you get to place an extra cube somewhere on the board. Now, you might use that simply and put it in an area you think you're going to win in order to shore up your uh, your influence with, with a certain nationality. But do you know what? Maybe you're just going to pop a random colour into an area that didn't have that colour before and suddenly the guy who had eight chips against someone else's two, well, that I guy may have had two of the nationalities that were in there, but he's got five of another nationality and you've popped that nationality in and suddenly it's eight against seven. And then that affects all the other elections that those guys are involved in. It's brilliant. One cube suddenly changes the dynamic of five or six elections. It's so funny. And when people can't see that that's what you're going to do to them and you do it, oh, you have me laughing. You really do. And that's why I think the game's really balanced is that some games when you change the course of a game like that and you just throw a spoke in the works, everyone is so thrown off. It's AP all over the shop. People are oh my God, I had a plan. I don't know what to do. Not with this game. It's, it's simple enough for you to be able to readjust yourself. You hate the person who's done it to you, but you can come up with another plan fairly quickly. Obviously, sometimes you have to have a little ponder about where you're going, especially if it's close towards the end of the game. But I think it's simple enough in its mechanics for you to be able to just readjust and carry on. Yeah, it's not that pondering where someone's sitting with their head in their hands and they're trying to do, you know, 16 mathematical calculations and sitting completely still. This is the face twisted, fits clenched, churning shoulders. Oh, but 
yeah, but you did. And it's brilliant. It's so fun. And like I say, if you're not swearing at each other, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're dead inside. Before we we start summing up and talking, well, I think we've already summed up to, to a large degree, but before we get on to that, I just want to ask you just a couple of things. Do you think there's enough strategy variants and... Are there surefire ways to win? I like. I know you like to sew up the Irish room. <laughs> anyone? Nobody's guessed. Nobody. <laughs> uh, is there enough strategic variety? Um, God, it's kind of a difficult question because, yeah, there might be kind of limited strategies, but it's what you can go for. It's taking advantage of the game situation as it comes up. Every game is different because it's simple. There's not huge differences. There's not, you know, you're going to have to win some wards in order to score some points. In order to do that, you're going to have to play Kevly and get some political chips from somewhere. I mean, that's what you need to do to win. It's not the big strategic varieties. It's the kind of the small ones. It's the, oh, maybe I can nick that off him or maybe this time. Or, you know, if I start going over after Irish in a game, if I can't sew them up early, then you know what I'll do? I'll start chucking some Irish in left, right and centre so that other people start fighting about them. So then I'll go and go after something else. You know, if you can lock down a certain nationality, that's going to help. But you can go after a variety of nationalities and certainly have an influence on the game. It really, really depends on how the game goes. You can't let anyone just sew up certain areas because they're going to be really powerful. And certainly if you can do that and you can start bullying people and go, look, man, I've got 22 Irish political chips here. I'm just going to put this one Irish cube in there. You mess with me, I'm coming in there and I will take that from you. And of course, that's all part of it because if I start bullying one person, you know the other three people should... Well, there's four of us. What are you talking about? You're going down. That's how it should be. So you do probably have to be a little bit sneaky to be good at this game. So uh, final thoughts from me. Yeah, I love the game. It probably isn't the, the nicest game to look at, especially the first edition. I think Ronan mentioned that in his intro of the game. I think uh, Ronan's game group ended up having to paint some of the pieces on, on it. Is that no, correct? That was second edition, mate. Sorry, first edition was even more poor. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry. The, the edition that just came out, all the different colour war bosses are, are clearly delineated. But the second edition, which is very hard to get hold of now, the yeah, two of the colours were so so similar. So, thank you very much, person who painted mine for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but apart from the way the game looks, and who cares? What a great game! What a great fun experience! What a way to hate your fellow gamers and then find the love at the end of the game. Really good game. Really enjoy it. Can't wait to play it again. Oh yeah, really a fantastic game. If you haven't picked that up by now, I really enjoy it. I've played loads and loads. It's a ton of fun. Uh, Get the right people together, people that are going to be nasty enough to attack each other but not hold a grudge. And it's really one of the best gaming experiences I think you can possibly have. I absolutely adore Tammany Hall. Right, on to a game called Ascension Chronicle of the Godslayer. Now, this is a 2010 release from Gary Games, as they were formerly known. They are now called Stoneblade Entertainment. Designed by a few people, but the the main ones are Robert Doherty, and he did a game called Succession, Intrigue in the Royal Court, and the Battleground Fantasy Warfare series card game. Uh, John Fiorillo who did World of Warcraft miniatures game, Justin Gary, 
who also did the World of Warcraft miniatures game and a game called Redakai, a trading card game. And last uh, but not least, Brian M. Kibler, who helped the dudes on Redakai and amazingly World of War- Warcraft trading card game. Now, Justin, Rob, and Brian, interestingly, were Magic Pro Tour champions, and that's how they got to know each other. There you go, a little tidbit for you. Now, this game plays two to four, and the playing time is 30 minutes plus. Ascension is a deck-building game. It has a fantasy theme running through it, and the game mechanics are similar to a lot of the deck builders out there with an area to buy cards from. In this case, it's six random cards are laid out on the table and replenished as things are removed by players. And this exists along with three permanent cards that are always available. One difference, though, is that some of the cards are monsters that you must defeat without necessarily acquiring them. Players start with 10 basic cards, stealing 5 per turn from your hand. There are two currencies in the game, and they are runes, where you can buy cards, and power, which you need to defeat the monsters. Most cards will have one of the or the other, although some do have both. So during your turn, you'll assess your rune and power totals and decide whether to buy a card with a rune value, say, or defeat a monster with the power value. And there's no limit to what you get as long as you have the ability to pay. The cards for runes go into your discard pile and will have runes or power to spend. And they'll also give you a little power in terms of they'll allow you to manipulate your score in some way or provide more cards and so on. They also have a victory point value in the bottom left hand corner. Monsters are slightly different. They will give you immediate victory points and a one off power. And this is usually something to attack your opponent. There is also one more card type, and they are called Constructs. Constructs are bought with runes as normal, but once they come into your hand from your discard pile or from your hand of cards, they can be placed in front of you and they will give you an ongoing bonus power until removed by one of your opponents. Another point to note is that the non-monster cards are divided into factions, and each faction tends to play in a slightly different way to the other. The factions are Enlightened, which are focusing on drawing cards, changing the cards in the center, and destroying the monsters. Void is focusing on power, and these are allowing you to clean your deck as well by banishing unwanted or weak cards. You've got the Makana deck. Now, these are generally weak, but you combine these to make them more powerful, and Lifebound, which work together to give bonuses for multiple Lifebound cards if they're played together. There are lots of cards that change the game basics and do things differently, but in general, that's how the game plays. The game ends when the preset point allowance is met, and there are no more points in the pot. The players then add up their card value and add to their points that they have already, and simply, the person with the most wins. Ronan, on to you. Yeah, this is uh, 10 minutes of fun in a 45-minute package, isn't it? (laughs) I know you agree with me on nothing I'm about to say. This is the, I think, the only tabletop game I've ever played in an iOS version and preferred. And the iOS version wasn't very good. <laughs> I find it a really frustrating game. I just don't see where the fun is. It's so random. It is all on card draw. If you draw the best cards, you're going to start doing well. If you start doing well, you're going to do better. You're going to afford the better cards and you're going to win. You can tell who's going to win in the first five minutes. And then you sit there for 40 more minutes waiting for them to make that victory pile run out and go, well, yeah, you won. You won 40 minutes ago. Great. Yeah, good game. Can we play something else? Yeah, I 
don't really see your hatred. Or sorry, I see your hatred. I see it every day. Every time you spy a box of this, I see your hatred. But I don't see where it comes from. I just think this is a fun, simple game. I mean, I have my problems with it, definitely. There are overpowered cards in it, and there are cards that if they come out, allow one person to thin the deck, and God forbid if they should be lucky enough to get that second deck thinning card, then yeah, it can become you a bit... You prove my point. I know. Always thin your deck. Always thin your deck. That If you get a thin your deck card, get it, use it. If you get that early, you've won. That's it. That's, 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 the, that's the game one. It's ridiculous. If it flips over on your turn, you've got it, Boom, I've won. Let's not bother playing for 40 more minutes. Give me those gems, I've won the game. But there's enough of those cards that generally, in my experience, they tend to be shared out fairly evenly. And there's other cards that can affect you. And I just, I don't get too involved in this game. It's, it's a fun build as quickly as you can. There are various routes you can go down to try and co- counteract. And it's not just... But, 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 but. <laughs> there's no point choosing a route, okay? It's absolutely pointless to go, do you know what? I'm going to chase green heroes this time, all right? I'm going to get them because they all work together and chain together, and that'll be really fun. Because do you know what? You might spend all your money getting the two and then not see another for the rest of the game. There are so many different types of cards. There's too many for this length of a game. You don't know what you're going to see, and not in a good way. And we, we compared it to DC Deck Builder, all right? DC has got, what, five different types of cards, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, right. That works, all right? In a quick game, if I go after equipment, I'm going to see some equipment cards because every fifth card is going to be an equipment card. If I go after green heroes, what is Every 30th card is a green hero or something? It's rubbish. Pick a strategy at the beginning. If you get lucky and those cards come up, you've won. If you don't get lucky, you've lost. If we could get the names right, they're Enlightened, Void, Makana, and Lifebound. I did go to the trouble of explaining them, if you could I have the grace. I listened. <laughs> your explanation of the rules is the most fun I've ever had in any way associated. <laughs> Listen, as I said, as I tried to say, without you diving in and attacking this poor game, it's it's just fun. And I like the fact that there's loads What's of the cards. Fun? Where's the fun? Tell me what the fun is. The fun is building up my deck. Finding You can extend the point value. There's things you can do to fix this. You can extend the point value so that you do get to go through that deck. You do get to see most of the cards. And the, there's, there's so many cards. And that's the beauty of this for me. I like the fact that there's so many cards. Things I don't like about it. The artwork is horrible. I can't stand the artwork. I don't mind the artwork. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. We found something that you don't mind about this game. I think that's a victory in itself. But... In that, it doesn't make me want to puke as much as the rest of the game <laughs> I just, And I do think there are strategies you can employ. I do think you can go down the enlightened route. I do think you can go down the con. You can go down them. I'm not saying you can't choose them. Yeah, there are strategies you can choose. It just makes feckle difference if you choose them. <laughs> because if the cards don't come out, it doesn't matter. I disagree. I've had games when it does. It does. Yeah, work. yeah. Because the cards came out. Well, yeah. There's an element of luck to it. Brilliant. That's element. The game's out there. The element luck plays a part. Element would suggest less than ninety-seven and a half percent of the whole game. <laughs> this is come a good... on, man. There's come other on. forty-five minute games out there that actually involve playing games. This is just. Oh, I wonder if I'll get lucky. We may as well sit there and go, deal cards out and go, whoever gets the first ace wins. There are are synergies possible amongst the cards, right? Definitely. There are clever ways to construct the decks. They're just too watered out. 
The cards are just too spread out. You, you just no guarantee of making those synergies. It's horrific. I don't. And, yeah, I agree. The higher victory point level is better. So it turns 10 minutes of fun into 20 minutes of fun, but a 45-minute game into an hour-long game. Listen, I agree with you that the, the cards are too spread out and there is an element of luck. But I disagree that there's no way of influencing that. I think if with the longer game, you are influencing things. You are chaining things. You don't have to just go for one strategy. There's enough scope in this game to go for two or three strategies. You have to. There's no choice. That's not scope. You have to. Because if you start going after Lifebound or whatever, and do you know what? How often are they going to be in the middle? Oh, shoot. Right. I'll go after Void because that's what's available. Oh, look. There's neither of them. Right. I'll go after Constructs. Don't get me started on bloody Constructs. How many (laughs) anti-Construct cards are there in the game? I don't think I've ever had a Construct last more than one round. So there's supposed to be things that you put out and help you build a long-term strategy. But they just disappear every three seconds. I spend all my money buying one, and then I get it out, and then it's just gone. It's blown up. Too many anti-construct cards. They're rubbish. Oh, there's not too many. There's a few, but surely that's good play if somebody goes for a bit of power to take out a monster and gets that card. Before how, how, you can often, get it. how often, honestly, are you sitting there, and with the five cards in the middle, is there an honest choice to be made between which one you take? I'd say 50% of the time. Ah, you drunk. Ah, <laughs> Are you drunk? <laughs> Come on, man. How annoying is it? Is it like you build up a red strategy and you sit there, nothing but white cards in the middle for 18 rounds. Ah! It's oh, annoying, but and sometimes it happens the other way around. Nothing but red cards in the middle. Ah! It's annoying, and sometimes it happens the other way around, and sometimes you get a balance. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I've I've traded this game like because there wasn't enough in it. But what I did when I did play this game, it was enjoyable. There was it was just a simple turn your brain off, very loose mechanics as you said, it's very watered down in terms of a deck builder. It's no way close to sort of something like Dominion. People mock DC deck building. I think DC deck building, as you quite rightly pointed out, is a little bit stronger in terms of building up your for your final score it's definitely better because they've simplified it they've streamlined it you can go down different routes there's only one different currency as we said when we were talking about dc so therefore you can't get frustrated and sit there with the wrong currency built up when you don't know what the currency is going to be it it removes all things The, the reason this annoys me so much is because there are some clever cards in there and there are some clever things that can happen but they never happen it's just luck <laughs> i think we're just gonna have to agree to disagree and i'm not even i think i'm defending this game strongly because of your reaction i i don't think it's the best game i got rid of it because i actually preferred dc deck builder and that's the light deck builder of choice for me which will surprise a lot of the gaming world because this game has a massive following this is a very very popular game yeah, it but some people so... like Archipelago, and that's random nonsense too. <laughs> Stop picking on games beginning with A. Yeah, you've got me going now. That's it. Brought ascension <laughs> up. I warned you. You knew it was going to happen. Don't feed the beast. Right, another couple of problems with this game as well. Um, off the thousands. Carry off on. Off the thousands is 
that the original box, the cards were actually bigger than the expansions. So when you put the expansions into it, they, they actually stand out, and you know what's going to come out. It's going to be an original one because it's slightly bigger. And they don't fit into the, the box the same way. So, yeah, so probably not Gary Games' finest moment, that. But having said, I have traded it. It wasn't good enough to stay in my collection, but what I did, I enjoyed it. And also... Is a point that you made, and I'm sure you would like to make again, that the iOS version is fine, isn't it, in your in your estimation? It burns up four minutes, and I don't hate it. And I think that's where this game actually sits, and that's probably why I, I traded this game, is because I can have as much fun on the iOS version, sitting on the train going to work. I don't need to play this game to have fun, because I've got other better games. But I can't play this game to have fun. <laughs> oh, you amuse me, Mr. Rice. <laughs> so, shall I sum up Ascension? It's rubbish. Sean? Ascension has its flaws. It definitely has its flaws. It can be luck-driven. It can be... You can get to the point where you have gone... You've pushed everything in one direction and you get completely scuffered by the cards. You can have a runaway leader problem when... The cards just don't fall the way you need them to fall. I think there are ways of fixing it. I think you can extend the game. You can take the uber-powerful cards out of the game so people can't thin their deck quite so easily or introduce more of those type of cards in, which some of the expansions have done. I think some of the expansions have gone a long way to fixing some of the issues in the game. But for me, it's still not strong enough to keep in my collection. And it's a... It's a 5 out of 10 game for me, really. Now that we've got that nonsense out of the way, should we talk about a 45-minute game that is actually a game and has some decisions? It's China, 2005 released by Michael Schacht and published by Abacus Spieler. And Michael Schacht has designed a ton of games, including the original version of this game, which was Web of Power, which had a few differences, but pretty similar. He's also done uh, Zuloretto, Aquaretto, Coloretto, uh, Hansa, Valdora, Mondo, tons of games. He's a well-known designer. Abacus Spieler are kind of one of the foundation publishers in Germany. They've got loads of games out. They've got the German Race for Galaxy version. They've done Ra and Samurai, Taj Mahal, Hanabi, the cop card game, which has been a big hit recently. So many games they've got come out in German. And uh, this one is a multi-language edition. It's for three to five players. I think it plays five, four or five, three maybe, uh, maybe one too few. And it takes 45 minutes. China is another area control game, which is a bit of a theme of this week. It's themed around China and 200 BC, although this is pretty much an abstract. The theme is is weak on this. And what we're playing on is we're playing on a map of China, which is divided up into regions. Now, there are two sides to the board. There's one which plays for three to four players and one which plays for four to five players. On the board, China is split into different regions and the regions are in five different colours. You've got Two orange, two yellow, two red, two green, and one purple. All the regions are connected together by roads with house markers on there, and each region has got its own little emissary area in the middle of it. Each player is going to choose a player colour, and they're going to get two different types of pieces for this player colour. They're going to get houses, which are going to go on the house uh, areas on the roads, and they're going to get emissaries, and emissaries are going to go into those 
well, embassy areas in each of the regions, and they're going to score in different ways during the game. Everyone starts with three cards. Now, these cards, they correspond to the colours of the regions. And they are what you're going to play to allow you to place either your houses or your emissaries into the game. What you do is, you can play up to three cards to put up to two pieces into one region. It's a 3-2-1 rule. So firstly, you choose a region and you choose the colour of it. If you have a card that corresponds to the colour of that region, you may place one piece on it, be it a house on the road and these roads all interconnect and wind throughout the whole area they're one big network or once there are houses in an area you're able to put emissaries in there now the number of emissaries is limited to the number of houses of the player with the most houses in there and that's a real interesting little twist on this because emissaries are a huge part of the scoring but they're quite difficult to get in and, and it's quite tactical to be able to play one house to put yourself ahead so you can put one more emissary in which basically locks down an area and I'll get into how they score in a second. If you have another card of the same colour you may also place another piece into that same region. You can never place two pieces in two different regions. They must always go in the same region. That's the one rule. Now the two rules, the two pieces and the three is the three cards because if you don't have another card of the same colour, but you have two cards of the same colour but different, if you like. So let's say I went into yellow originally and then I had two red cards in my hand. Well, I could play those two red cards to count for a yellow and put a second place into the yellow region. So that's what's going to happen. As you go around, you're going to put a couple of pieces of wood on the board and players are going to redraw up to three cards in their hand. The draw deck's going to run out. When it runs out a second time, that's the end of the game. Now there are three different ways to score during the game. The first one, which is going to happen whenever any region, the roads in it are full up of houses, we're going to do house scoring in there. And what happens is whoever's got the majority in houses is going to score one point for every house that's in there. So if I had three houses in there, Sean had two and Bobby Joe had two, I'd score seven points because there's seven houses altogether in there. Now, whoever comes second is going to score as many points as the person in first has houses in there. So in this example, Sean and Bobby Joe are going to score three points each because I was ahead of them and I had three of my own houses. So you can see that actually for just one extra house, I've scored four extra points there. And again, it's quite clever the way that works. You have to try and eke out little majorities. It's not so efficient to smash six houses into a seven house area because you're just going to score seven points for that. If you could have got those points for three houses, you're playing a little bit more efficiently. Like I said, those areas score for houses when they fill up. And if an area hasn't filled up at the end of the game, we're going to score for that. The second scoring is called alliance scoring. Now, this is when these emissaries come into their own. At the end of the game, thematically, the emperor visits the whole kingdom, but in reality what we do is we take a little piece. Each border that is shared by two regions has got a number on it. And you place the piece on that number and then you check the regions on either side of this border. Now, if one player has got a majority in both areas of emissaries, now remember you can only have a total number of emissaries which is equal to the number of houses the player who has the most houses in there so let's go back to that original example if I've got three houses in this area and Sean has two and Bobby Joe has two you can only have three total emissaries in that area if I had six houses and someone else had one there could be six total emissaries in the embassy in that particular area that region so each border gets scored you must have a majority in 
both embassies associated with that border. If you do, you score number of points equal to the total number of emissaries in both areas. So you can see that can be quite powerful. If there's four on one side and there's three on another, you can score, let's say, seven points there. If you can start getting control of emissaries of one of the central areas that shares borders with four or five different regions and then start getting some more of the others, those one set of emissaries might score four or four or five times for you if you can manage that. It's real clever play and it's quite clever. So very simple game. There's not much to it, but the scoring makes it interesting. And the last little bit of scoring there is if you manage to get four or more houses in a row on that road network system without looping around or going over the same house again or going down branches, you score one point for each house in that chain. So they score in two different ways for you. And that's all there is to China. It's a simple, abstracted area control game. Sean, any thoughts? Well, I just didn't connect with this game at all. I just couldn't get it. I didn't get into it. I didn't feel like I was doing anything in the game I didn't understand the scoring and I think that's where the problem lies for me with this game you explain this game in a couple of minutes how it works what you do the scoring took as long if not longer there's so many things for a 45 minute game it's such an intricate scoring process I just think it's way too convoluted for what it for what it is yeah I mean I I think that it's so abstract that it's one of those games that you really have to get on board with straight away. You have to just go, okay, do you know what? I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to try to get to grips with it. I haven't seen really many people do very well on their first play of it because there is no theme to link you in, especially that border scoring. It's difficult to kind of go, what? How do those emissaries score? Because the number here is limited by this and the numbers there. Yeah, I understand it. It's not that easy a game to get your head around straight away in terms of scoring. But I think it's the scoring that adds the interest to the game. If it was simple area control, there'd be nothing to it. It's such simple mechanisms. It's the clever interaction, all the pieces. And by putting one piece somewhere, you open up an opportunity for someone else. Now, problem when that comes is that experienced players will see that you've made a mistake which is very easy to do when you haven't played it and you put in a piece which opens it up for them and they're going to jump straight on there and score and I'm probably the sort of horrible person who did that to you and made you not like the game but I can live with myself it's fine so I think yeah it's it's I, it, some people more than other games I've noticed have been put off straight away and just haven't got that click moment with it it's a game that if you click with it I think is a lot of fun yeah, I think you've nailed it right on the head there. There's nothing in this game, for me, that draws me into it. It looks basic. It looks dated. I really didn't like the look of it at all. You don't feel like you're you're in China. You don't feel like you're going back into whatever the year was supposed to be. 200 BC. There you go. You don't feel like you're in 200 BC China. There's... There's nothing, the, the mechanics, although are simple, and that's the only thing that, yeah, okay, all right, I think I can probably get grasp that, the mechanics of how, how to lay your pieces on the board. But once somebody started talking about the rules, uh, sorry, the scoring rules and scoring the way that works, it kind of lost me, and there was nothing there for me. I didn't feel like I wanted to play the game, and that's, that's a bad thing to start off not wanting to play a game. I'm always open, yeah, I'll play anything once see how it is and this is one of the few games that i've just prejudged and that's probably my fault but i just didn't think the game did enough to draw me in 
Yeah, I think it's weird. You see, if it was just you, I'd say you're a bit odd. I say that anyway. But yeah. it's happened to other people. And it's like, I do understand you have to analyse each move because every move develops the board. One of the things we didn't mention was that initially, if an area is empty, you can't place two pieces into it on your turn. Even if you've got the cards to do it, you can only place one. And it has to be a house. And by placing that house... You open it up both to someone else to jump in and put two houses in, and also you've opened it up for an emissary to go in there, um, which which suddenly opens up another factor of scoring. So timing when to put that one house in can be quite important. And and definitely if someone's not concentrating and they start opening up areas, you know, if you open up an area next to me where I've got emissaries, I'm going to jump in and stick emissaries in there because bang, I'm I'm suddenly scoring lots of points. And if you haven't engaged, if you haven't gone, all oh, right, that's how the scoring works, and realised the importance of each move, I can see it becomes boring because mechanically there's not a lot there. You're not going to be trying to figure out how to chain things together. You're not grabbing resources to change into that, to do this. There's not a lot of – there is long-term planning, long-term planning for the scoring, but if you haven't engaged with that scoring, you're just not going to be interested. I think the the game time, I think you said it was about 45 minutes. Usually when someone pulls out a game and says this one should play about 45 minutes an hour with an explanation, you get yourself into a mindset of a certain type of game. All the tricky, fiddly brain burners tend to be longer. And I think when you hear that this one's quite a short game, you kind of get in a mindset of, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be just simple get your pieces on the board, have a bit of a laugh, but it's not like that. I didn't I didn't feel like anyone was having fun playing this game and that's probably just me, but yeah, it's a it's a funny one for me and it's very unusual for me to just hate a game off the bat like that. Yeah, I definitely say I find it interesting more than fun. You know, Small World, that's a fun game. I don't think it's that interesting because until it comes around to my turn, I really haven't got a lot to think about. I might have a laugh at someone getting smashed up, but this one, I find it interesting. It is like a puzzle, but it's a puzzle that's developed by the players and how they interact and their actions create the puzzle of, oh, so where is best to go? And I do find it to be an interesting game. And for 45 minutes, a game that involves decisions, interesting scoring, a developing story within the game. Again, it's got that narrative because the scoring options build up as you go on and it starts off with the houses are probably, you know, fairly important, but you have to keep an eye on the emissaries and... I, I actually like the game quite a lot. I think for 45 minutes, um, it engages me. If it was any longer, I'd be, you know, it's fairly dull. I understand that aesthetically it's not that pleasing. I think I'm going to have to keep banging on at you with this. I'm going to have to make you play it a couple more times because I really hope you click with it because I think that once you do click with it, although it has got root building, your, your special kryptonite, once you do click with it, I think there's a lot there to explore. You had to bring up the root building, didn't you? Sorry. Um, it's not often I say this, but I just don't want to play this game again. It, uh, if I have to, I will. But often when I don't click with a game straight away, I always say, listen, I want to give it another go just in case I miss things on the first time round. And quite often when you do get a complete whooping by somebody who's more familiar with a game, it does put you off. And I I know that, but this time there's something different about this game. And I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't make me want to play it ever again. Am I going to have to feed you chocolate and rub your belly again to get you to play it? You know how to get to me, don't you? I really do. You say all the right things. <laughs> At all the wrong times. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we've pretty much summed up. Uh, Sean, you didn't click with the game. I like it. Um, 
I really hope I can find some players that enjoy it. I think it's simple enough that you can play it with pretty much anyone. And like I say, if they have that click moment, if they have that ding, if they engage, if they see how it's developing, if they see where the score's going, I think it's 45 minutes of good, puzzly, gamey fun. Now we're off to Court the King, which is a 2006 Rio Grande Games effort from Thomas Lehman. Now, Tom designed Venetia, Race for the Galaxy, Pizarro & Co., Starship Merchants, Jericho, and the soon-to-be-released Roll for the Galaxy. This game plays two to five players and has a playing time of approximately 45 minutes. Now, this is a dice-rolling and manipulating game with card drafting thrown in. Players take on the role of petitioners in the royal court trying to gain the king's favour. To do this, you must sweet-talk the servants and the workers in the court who will assist you in getting access to the nobility. Now, once you are able to influence the nobles, you may be able to reach the king himself. You set up the court by laying the cards representing the various people with the servants at the bottom and the next echelon of importance on top of them and so on until the king who sits at the very top with the king. Each card has a claim stroke buy value and a power available to the owner. So to buy the cards, you have to meet the requirements stated after your dice roll. For example, the card may require all odd numbers, all even numbers, or a total of 20 or more, etc. Obviously, as you move towards the king, these get harder to obtain. If you achieve the requirement for the card, you may claim the card and use the power described in it in your subsequent turns, thus manipulating your dice in future. The cards offer ways to get extra dice, to manipulate your dice rolls in terms of to get the results you want. So some allow you to take pips from one die and add them to another, and some just give you the ability to add pips. So I haven't really mentioned the basics of it. You roll your dice and you set one aside each roll. That's it. Once you've applied all your powers from the cards and set aside all your dice, then that's your final result and you can look to claim a card from the court. Generally, the lower cards have more than one per game, but as you climb the social ladder, the cards thin out until you just got one of each card, which makes them quite important and quite different in terms of what you're going to go for. This obviously changes depending on the number of players in the game. So to win the game, somebody must first claim the king card, which is done by getting seven of a kind. If you've got seven of a kind, obviously you're getting more dice as you go in as well. That's what some of the cards do. Now that gives you both the king and the queen and allows the player to go last in the end game, which has been triggered now by the claiming of the king card. The end game is an exercise in getting as many of the same dice number as possible with the more of the same number winning. In the event of a tie, the person with the highest number, for example, seven sixes will beat seven fives. And that's it. It's quite a simple game. And a lot of people have compared this to a game like Yahtzee. Ronan, what are your thoughts? It is quite, quite a simple game. I think it's a bit better than Yahtzee. Um, there are a few decisions to be made, how you use your dice. Uh, definitely, it's 
fun building up through the ranks. It's fun whereby as you get more options, you know, trying to work out again, it's a bit puzzly, trying to work out our oh, plus one to this one. If I use that one for those, that will be good for me next turn. And and you're developing and you're building up your powers, which gives you more and more to think about. I like it because it starts off really simple. You think it's gonna be obvious, and then suddenly when you come to that first kind of decision moment, you go, Oh yeah, okay, I could do this or this, which is oh, I'll go for that. And then that takes you in a certain way and it's quick, it doesn't overstay its well welcome um and like say the the decisions develop and it feels like you're going somewhere and it feels like you're developing and then at the end it's just a roll off which is really annoying it falls down on that last bit for me i feel like it's a game i'm happy to play you know it's fun it's light there's nothing too much to it it's not as bad as some of the other kind of yahtzee games that are pure luck but then that end game is just horrific oh, i think horrific might be a bit strong there old bean i think there is a tiny bit of luck to it but i think if you've played the game well and you've got a nice balance in terms of the amount of dice you've collected and how you manipulate your dice i think and going last obviously getting to the king is very important first i think there is definitely more strategy there than luck but luck obviously is going to pay play a part because it's a dice rolling game Oh, there's no way more strategy than luck. You've gone crazy. There's oh, some strategy which you can influence your dice here and there a little bit. But, I mean, who gets that king card? It's so powerful to get the king card. And then it's jam. You know, you could do it with the minimum number of dice or you could have 10 dice and not actually ever get to do it. It's Sorry, mate. I like the fact that they built that in, that you develop and you get better and what have you. But the end game. <laughs> um. I could be wrong, but I don't think this is a widely known game. I only came across it because I was just doing some research on a mass trade, and I had a, I think it was Citadels I was trading, and I wanted a smallish game in return, because I obviously knew I wasn't going to get a Descent or something for it. And yeah, I did a little bit of research for it, and it just really struck a chord with me. I really liked the sound of it, and yeah, it's definitely one of the games that if I have got a few minutes and not a long time to play a game, it's one of the games I consider bringing to the table. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty sure it's out of print. Uh, I know it's available on uh, Brett Spielwell, the website for people to play on. And I think it's that kind of game that you look at it and you go, you know, I've got 15 minutes to kill. I can just play it online with someone as opposed to actually trying to go and hunt it down. And it's got competitors now in terms of dice rolling. It's got tons of competitors in terms of dice rolling. Uh, you know, King of Tokyo will, I guess, be an obvious competitor to it. And all the ones, zombie dice, Martian dice, pirate dice, all, the, all those other things. Um, so I'm not... Is it ever going to see a reprint? I think it's it's actually quite a good game. For, for It's better than Zombie Dice and all that. It's not that luck-based. There are decisions to make. It's it's not. I like it. It's a decent game. I just... It was almost something better. It was almost a game that I'd want... You know, I'd seek out playing. But that last two minutes ruined it. Yeah, I think it can be frustrating. And, I mean, it's nothing to say end the game on the claiming of the king i mean that's what you're there to do to court the king if someone gets the king it makes it even quicker game almost a filler yeah this it's not per i mean i see it as really a cross between sort of something like kingsburg and yahtzee where you've got the court and you're influencing the court and and you get them together but i think i mean it does have its faults that i do think first ever comparison you've ever made on this show that i agree with <laughs> well there you go there's a first for everything it's no love letter snap comparison, put it that way. No, no, not my finest moment, as I said before. 
But I stand by it. I have to. <laughs> it's out there. It's in the on the interweb. What can I do? Yeah, I think there are some issues. Um, I think the information on the cards is quite small, and you, you do spend a lot of time picking up the cards to see what what how you get the card and what it's going to give you after that. It's not the best design game. It's 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 very, all the cards are like 17th century portraits. But yeah. It's a fun, quick game. I, I, don't, I, I don't mind the components. I think components are fine, to be honest with you. I don't, you know, it is they a light, quick dice rolling game. Don't expect too much of it. I think it's well worth hunting down. It's not like there's any issues with any of it. It's not poorly done. It's not broken. It's not a bad game. It's good fun. Yeah, I think I enjoy it. I enjoy the different elements on the cards. I enjoy the dice rolling. I love dice not being very good at dice rolling games. However, this is, I think we discussed before, it's the one game where I constantly luck out at the end. I think it's probably contributed to your hatred of that end game. So, uh, yeah, Court the King, it's good, it's fun. Do you know, if you like dice rollers, if you like this Yahtzee-style game, definitely seek it out, because I think it's probably right at the top of that genre. It's not a genre I'm particularly in love with, but but this is a game I'm, you know, if someone drags it out, I'm happy to play it for sure. Absolutely. Um... Again, not a massive fan of the genre, but this is a game I enjoy, and I can't think of a better way to do this type of game. So, yeah, if you like dice games, if you like dice manipulation games, go for it. It's a good game. Now, the last game we're going to talk about today is quite a biggie. It is Dominant Species, 2010 release, designed by Chad Jensen and released by GMT Games, currently sitting at a lofty number 17 on the Board Game Geek rankings. Now, Chad Jensen has brought out Dominant Species, the Combat Commander games. He also did Urban Sprawl and he did Dominant Species, the card game. GMT games have done a lot of very popular games. Twilight Struggle, number one game on BGG. Pass of Glory, Commands and Colours, Here I Stand. They did Battle Line, Labyrinth, Washington's War. Do I need to carry on going? They are a big pedigree games company. They tend to do war or war-related games, but they have been branching out recently. They've had stuff like, I guess, Space Empires 4X actually is quite war-y, so that's perhaps not the best example. But they've done other things. I mean, Urban Sprawl, that, there you go. That's a, uh, a city-building game. So, Dominant Species. It's two to six players. I think if you're going to play with two or three players, you really need experienced players because they're going to be playing a couple of animals each, especially two players. You're supposed to play three species each. That is brain meltingly difficult it's a tough enough deep enough game as it is to learn without worrying about that sort of thing definitely think six is the best number for it at least the most fun uh but i'm sure sh- you know, four or five work um it's down has taken 180 minutes i think sean might challenge that in a while because we had a notorious game of this but i will say a full game you want to give yourself probably about four four and a half hours to play it it is big this is a big game experience deep issue um myself and my friends have come up with a slight variation it's pretty popular on board game geek um i will talk about some cards later if you take a few of those cards out it shortens the game a little bit and also it reduces the amount of actions people get and uh and that helps so we've got this game down to a shortened version easily get it done in two and a half hours anyway what's dominant species about 
Each player takes control of a particular class or species of animals. So you've got insects, arachnids, amphibians, you've got birds, you've got mammals, and you've got reptiles. You start off with the board. Now, the board is a series of hexes, seven of which are occupied by particular terrains at the beginning of the game. You have one central hex, and that's got a tundra on it, and that's going to represent basically your north or south pole, whatever it might be of this world you're on. And then there are six other different terrains around, which vary. There are wetlands, there's savanna, there's desert, there's mountain, there's jungle and there's forest. Each player starts with a balanced start. You start with two cubes which represent your species on the hex that's kind of your home hex if you like and one on either side of those. So you've got uh, presence in three hexes. Also, as well as those hexes, at the apex of these hexes you're going to get things called element discs. What they amount to are different types of food. And as you start off, every different species is adapted to eat one of the types of food. So amphibians, for example, they will survive in water. I mean, food's probably a bad word for it, but they'll survive with water. Arachnids like to eat grubs. Insects like grass and so on. Now, where there's more of the types of things that you like to survive in, that's where you're best adapted. There are two types of scoring in the game. One of which is a simple area control issue. Whoever's got the most cubes in an area is going to score points for being in control of that area when that area, that hex, is scored. However, also, whoever's best adapted to an area, that's shown by putting one cone in each hex to display which of the species is best adapted to it. That is, can survive best there. You, your food suits that area. Well, that's also going to give you scoring at times during the game. And it's also going to give you access to action cards, which are really powerful in the game. This is a deep, thinky game where every action has a consequence. It's actually a, a kind of a worker placement game. I'll get onto that in two seconds. So you think it's quite Euro-y, but it's also quite a war game as well. And it's quite an Ameritrash game because these cards I just mentioned have huge impacts on the game. So if you're not prepared for one card to have a big effect on your strategy, then you might have to turn away now. So I've described how we set up, and what's going to happen is that one ice cap, that tundra that we have in the middle of the board, the theme of the game is that that tundra is going to start spreading, and it's going to start chasing the animals away, and the animals are going to have to start exploring more of this world. And as players, you're going to be taking new hexes out and putting it down. You're going to be discovering food sources to go in these different areas, and you're going to be trying to manipulate into different areas, you're going to put food sources down, you're going to try and evolve your animals to be able to eat different types of food and then you're going to try and spread your animals around. All the meanwhile in competition with everyone else, trying to control areas, trying to adapt best and trying to score points as you go. So that all sounds great, right? How do we actually play? What are the mechanisms of the game? As I said, it's pretty much worker placement. Now, depending upon the number of players, each player is going to get a certain number of action pawns for the game. And those action pawns are going to allow you to select actions from a list down the right hand side. Now there are 12 different areas you can go into, so 12 different types of actions. So when you first look at this game, you're looking at these terrains. All different terrains have different scoring. You're looking at these elements, so the different food things. You're looking at two different ways of scoring, with cubes and then with adaptation, you, with these cones they mark. And then you've got 12 separate actions down the side. Then you've got a whole bunch of cards to read. There's a lot to take in. It's not that bad. If you've played a few games, if you just go through it, how to play the game well might not be immediately apparent, but how to play the game, you'll get on top of it.
you go with it don't be too intimidated so what kind of actions can you do well there is an initiative track generally the smaller animals get to go first but ties are broken in a food chain order which is the reverse of the initial initiative track so the bigger animals get an advantage for going last basically and you're able to to manipulate that by going there and moving up in turn order then there's places where you can adapt to the different food types that are around but that's dangerous because there's also an area where you can lose that adaptation so there's somewhere you can counter that there's areas that allow you to put element discs onto the board so if you're particularly adapted let's say to grass if you're insects you might want to get more grass and pop it out around the place which gives you more chance to survive in areas more areas which you can go to because at the end of each round if any of your species so one cube is one species in the game um, is in a hex and there's none of the food types you can eat on any of the apexes of that hex you're going to die out everyone has a limited number of cubes again dependent upon player number and you really don't want to waste those cubes sometimes it's worth going in there for a quick score or a quick couple of points but don't be wasting many of them in a six player game you start with four on the board and then you've only got 30 other cubes to place uh, that, uh, that sounds like a lot or not trust me it's not uh, in a horrific game this week i lost 19 cubes in one turn and i will not forgive you for that i will get you next time i know you're listening right what else can we do we can actually take elements off the board so we go into the uh, depletion area it's called and that way lets you take elements off so you can make other people's animals starve you start to see there's a little bit of competition here. it's a bit nasty glaciation action you get to control where the ice age is going when the ice age goes down it knocks animals off the board it zeroes well it doesn't zero but it reduces the points massively as to how that tile will be scored and it's going to affect people so it may not be that effective to you. You can score a couple of points by being the glaciation action, but what you can do is prevent it from happening to you. You can be nasty to other people. There's speciations, and that's how you get more cubes on. There's Wanderlust. That allows you to place new hexes out, and you get to choose an element disc to go on there. So not only are you choosing where the area grows, you're also choosing how it grows and what food's available on the new hexes that come out. It can be quite powerful. There's migration. You can move around the board. So if something bad's happening, start moving. Now, something that maybe I didn't explain there, it, unlike traditional war games, you're not stuck in an area. You have this home base where you start, but it's as simple as putting a disc, element disc you can eat into another area and speciating around it, and suddenly you're in a whole different area of the board. You're not fixed. It's very fluid. Things are going to change throughout the game, and how you adapt best to those changes, that's going to be some good play. So you can migrate. You can move around. Don't feel like you're stuck. And migrating it again, although there is this war game issue to it, if you move into an area with another person, it, you don't automatically fight. You live in peace unless you choose to fight. And that's the next action. That's competition. If you choose competition, you get to eat some cubes of some of your competitors. Not a lot, but each cube can make a difference for some scoring. And the last thing you can do is domination. Now, domination lets you score a tile. Now, certain terrain types score more points. And when you're scoring in terms of points throughout the game, it's who's got the most cubes in an area is going to score the points for that area. But this is where having that adaptation is important because whoever's cone is in there, so that's the person who's best adapted to eat the element discs that are on the apexes of that hex. If you've got a cone in that area, you get to choose a card. Now, five different cards will be available each turn. If they don't get chosen, they still sit there. And those cards really are powerful. They are situation dependent. Not all five are going to be powerful on every turn, but it's always going to be two or three that can make a big difference. Whether it's you can really do something impressive with it or, damn, I don't want someone else to get that because that's really going to let them be able to screw me over. And trust me, they will. It's a screw you over game. 
the end of each round we do a quick reset we check whether everyone's uh, alive then the last thing we do is we check tundra now the tundra is going to spread it's going to come more and more abundant and it's a viable strategy to actually move back onto the tundra and be the person who's surviving best in that area because that can score you lots of points there's bonus points available it happens in a certain way how the game ends there's one card that basically when it's chosen from a domination action what we do is we score all the tiles according to who's dominant on them that's the cones who's best adapted and you're going to score on a pyramidal bonus system basically if you're dominant on five different tiles you're going to score 15 points so if you can adapt well that's going to give you a few points there and the last thing we do in the game is every single hex gets scored for all the cubes that are on there the seas are more valuable than the mountains for example because you know life is easier to live there so where you control with how many cubes that's going to be big end game scoring and that's going to be between probably a third and a half of a winning score might come from those last end game scorings so it's a big deep worker placement war thematic game which throws lots of different elements at you into a massive big experience sean dominant species firstly i could go the rest of my life and live happily without hearing you say the word speciate ever again the first time i played this game it had a massive effect on me to the point where i immediately wrote a review my very first contribution to board game geek about how much I didn't enjoy it. But even by then, I was starting to realise it was more the way it was played than the game itself. But I'll come back to that, because the first thing I want to talk about is the first edition board. I think it was the first edition, wasn't it, we played, Ronan? It was, yeah. What a horrible board. What horrible components. What a bland box. It's just beige and tints. It is such a bland board. Nothing sticks out. It was just a mess. It was hard to see what was going on. I know you you, you have a different opinion, Ronan, but I just couldn't get over. For such a big game in terms of everyone wanted to play it when it first came out, it was just so poor, in my opinion, in terms of design. Sorry, I had to take my uh, microphone off mute in order to keep this as a family-rated show. (laughs) You are mental you're wrong bland it's bland function function over form my friend there is so much going on in the game okay there are so many bits going on there with the element discs everywhere and the cubes and the hats and you can have six different colors of cubes in one area you cannot have striking art and then put six different colors of cubes on it and then a hat and then have different colored element discs around it you'd be going crazy it'd be like being at a rave it'd just be colors flashing in front of your eyes everywhere no you are wrong it's fantastically well designed all the information you need is there. It's clear. What you need to see pops out. How can the cubes, why can they be bland? They're bright colours. You're bright green, bright red, bright yellow, bright blue. That's absolute nonsense. And the element discs, they're all different colours. And the iconography is so clear. You could not have loads of background art and nonsense here because it would just be information overload. There's already so much to consider. Underwhelmed. I'm underwhelmed by you. Yeah, but that's a constant state. This game underwhelmed me with its design. It just, it didn't look like a game I wanted to play. It looked like a science project. Yeah, that's right. It looked like a science project. What's wrong with science projects? (laughs) Let's not go down that path, eh? 
So, yeah, first impressions for me, it just looked really bland. Now, I know that they've actually addressed this issue because I think a lot of people complain about it, judging by the responses on uh, my review. I got to seven pages on Board Game Geek, and a lot of that was just people whinging about the board to the point where people started whinging about whinging, people whinging about the board. It was a big thing, and the, they've now addressed it, and now they are more vibrant there's actually pictures of the terrain on them i love the look of them but i think you're going to go the other way eh. it's just an eh is that all we're going to get from you on this? Eh. what it's just like some 15 <laughs> year olds redesigned it. it looks like a print and play game now nonsense completely unnecessary stop pandering to those imbeciles who don't like the game if you don't like it sod off and don't play it it was perfect it's clear i want it to be clear i want to be able to think about my strategy i don't want to be able to fight my retinas just to work out what the hell's going on i don't care what there's some pictures of trees oh that's nice it now looks like it hasn't been designed by a 98 year old naturalist do you know what i want that game I want the 98-year-old naturalist because he's putting his years of experience and knowledge into the design. I don't want this 15-year-old CGI on it on MS Paint. I think we might have to agree to disagree on that one again. <laughs> um, right, so moving on. So, my first game, and it's, it's definitely something that stayed with me for a long time. We had many a fight over it. That game just seemed to last forever. Do you know I why it seemed to last forever? Because it did last forever? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we inter- we we introduced a two-minute timer at about the three-and-a-half-hour mark, and that made it a five-hour game. It was easily sailing towards seven or eight hours if we hadn't have done that. And there's only so many times you can watch someone pick up their piece again and go, ooh, ah, but if I, oh, no, because then you'll, oh, maybe, oh, scratch their bum, put their piece down, and then just add another 20 of those in because that's what was happening on nearly everyone's turn and i was the same because it was a real head scratcher but we needed that time and that time i actually made it to the point where i didn't just flip the table and storm out and yeah well come on this is this is a commentary on that particular place not it is no it is and that's that's what kind of clouded my judgment i think I, i take the point that there's definitely this is AP prone, all right? There's a ton of stuff going on. If you think this is a straight-up Euro where you think you're going to be able to work everything out and eke out every point and know what's going to happen, no, it's not going to happen. No, not at all. I think, and also, I, I do actually think I got the mechanics quite well. I understood the game after maybe, like, completely after maybe the second turn round. I knew what my strategy was going to be, and it quite well the game ended up fairly close between all five players actually and i got that but when when that game started hitting into the third and fourth hours i just lost the will to live and i think that clouded my judgment and i didn't and i think i declared that i hated the game and i never wanted to play it again in my usual childish style but now i want to play it again and it, i think there is enough game there for me to actually say you know what i was wrong my initial thoughts were wrong and i want to give it another go Oh, there's so much game here. It is fantastic. Every game is different. Every game is funny. Every game is is 
combative and interesting and it's the real combination you have to be able to play a euro well you have to be able to play a war game well and you have to be able to roll with the thematic things that happen in it in order to play the game well it's a real challenge of of that mix of styles i just think it really is it could be the ultimate game i don't think i'd go that far but I think, yeah, I'd love to play the game again. I ha- would have to be in a t- specific kind of mood because there's too much work going on in this game. And it's a lot of work building up your your species and getting them into the places you want them in and avoiding the, the ice tundra spreading. And it, there's so much going on. And as you said the other day, in the wrong frame of mind, I would have cried losing 19. And I think, what did you say? This, there's only 30 pieces you start with. So losing 19 of them, that would, yeah, that would have broken me. The wrong day, that would have broken me. And I, that's possibly a problem I have with this game. It did break me. <laughs> there was, it wasn't so much that as the five people pointing and laughing that, that really kind of finished me off. And then the other people coming over to find out and find out it was me and then laughing some more. Well, you are well regarded in your gaming group. <laughs> I'm beginning to think I'm not liked. <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away? Uh, so, yeah, you have to be able to appreciate that GMT make war games. There are definitely war game elements in there for sure. And if you get a bit precious about the things you create and you don't want someone to be able to play one card and really mess you over i mean the cards are out they come out at the beginning of the round you can see what they're going to be certain species are going to be more vulnerable to those cards than other just because they generally tend to be lower in the initiative order and and uh, yeah but actually if i had been really on the ball and clever enough i could have avoided this it wasn't unavoidable it was that i'd stretched in a certain direction and i was relying on one element uh to, to keep me alive and really stupidly and i could have done something about it previously i just didn't think and that that's one of the great frustrations about it is these things happen to you but most often you can always kind of go back a couple of turns and go do you know what i really should have seen that coming and if i hadn't put that there i'd put it there i would have been okay so the, the blame can almost always come back to yourself it, it's it's not completely random things are there and you can see what's coming up one of my points that I actually do stand by, I do, for my taste, it is a little bit too busy on that board. There's a lot of cubes. If you've got five players playing this with all their cubes out there, it does get really busy on that board, and it's, it, it, it becomes quite hard to pick out things, for me, anyway. Well, aren't you the one who wants the busier artwork? Yeah, I, I think that lends to it. I, obviously, I haven't seen it in action, so I might have to retract that statement later, but I just think it made for a more appealing-looking game for me. I, I think that there is an awful lot going on. I, I'm not sure there's, that there's that much on the board. It's that everything counts, and the situations are all changeable. So, you know, the, the, the addition or removal of one element disc can change who's dominant here and there. And suddenly if someone moves in and you start looking and thinking, hold on a second, they've got competition for that. Are oh, they going to eat me there? So I'm going to have to get another, you know, you, it's that every single thing matters. Not so much as there's tons of it there, because actually when you look at it, it's not that often you have more than, let's say, maybe 15 cubes on the board. It's that everything is interacting with everything else. Question for you, Ronan. Yes. What, in your opinion, is the right number of players for this game? Six quick players. So you just want to max it out? Yeah, I think 
when you play with less than six, you have gaps in the initial setup. Now, you'll find when you're playing that if the players either side of a certain player go away from them, then and they're left with a little area to themselves, it's, it's quite powerful. They, if they can build up a little empire in there and no one's in challenging and that they've got straight up dominance so they can always pick a card out because the fight for dominance is important in, in order to stop people being able to take cards. Uh, if, if they can do that and create a little kingdom, it's, it's a real powerful thing. When you play with five, you've always got a one gap in the circle of six. So people who are either side of it have the opportunity to expand in that area and there's less competition. And in a game where the, a lot of the balance comes from the player interaction, you know, other players have to be aware of it. If you've got experienced players playing they'll know oh, do you know what I'll chuck an element over there and get in there but that then that's affecting their play because I'm having to do something to stop you which then the other two guys who haven't done that well then they've got an advantage you know it's it's all that self-balancing mechanism going on uh, I think four is okay as well you get more actions each there's more space so there's a little bit less uh, interaction and war so certain other action selections become more powerful so as you change the player number different actions become more powerful when you play with three you're supposed to play with two species each which uh, i think that would really break my head and i've played this game a few times playing with two you're supposed to play with three species each now i know someone whose first ever game they tried to play two player dominant species with three species each rest assured it didn't go very well i would be very loath to try that on myself i think that's brain melting out of ears time um also like i said we do that thing where we take four cards out to make it a bit shorter it's the ones that give you extra action pawns which can obviously lengthen the games people have more to do actually just doing that slight adjustment also changes the game it changes how you play it and and trying to score tiles early and and hit up cards cards actually become more powerful in that shorter version um because maybe because of the lack of actions and because the board doesn't develop quite as much as it would in the longer version of the game you can be a bit more risky with your cube so so i think it's a real good that the system is robust yet delicate if that makes any sense it's it you can't break it by making these changes but you do adjust it and you do adjust What's the optimal play depending upon player number and, and how long you're going to play it for? Yeah, so yeah, definitely my thoughts were like, yeah, six is best because then you do get all the species into the, the equation. But failing that four, it, slight, it changes the game enough to make it interesting in terms of it's not as itchy, it's not as in your face. But yeah, I don't see myself ever wanting to play this with any less than four, certainly. No, I think it's probably slightly more euro with four. I think I've pretty much said it all, but it's a game that I started off really detesting, thought about a little bit and realised that it was actually, it's the way we played the game as a group. It was the reason I didn't enjoy this game, basically. And I want to give it a few more goes, and I think it may become one of my favourite games, but I would still like to play with the new board just to see how that works and to see if I am right. But other than that, yeah, good game. You're wrong. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> game. I hate it. Uh, if I haven't made it clear enough yet, I adore this game. I just think it's fantastic. It takes everything that I love about games and melds them together and does it successfully. 
It's got the thinkiness of a Euro. It's got the nasty interaction of a war game. I'm terrible at war games. So this suits me because it's only kind of a war game. And it's also got some, some theme there to draw you in. Unexpected things happen. Interesting things happen. Uh, alliances and enmities form and fall away during a game of it. It's a real epic gaming experience. And I just love it. Is it the ultimate game? It might just be. So that was episode eight of The Game Pit. Uh, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to speak to us a little bit more, you can catch us on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. Email us at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. You can come and see us at 2d6.org, along with a whole host of other gaming goodness. And if you want to come and have a chat, come and see us at our Board Game Geek Guild. Music by Aaron Moore.